Okay, so the very first part of Revelation, when you go through the first few chapters, it's uh, seven different letters to seven different churches. And the one we're going to talk about tonight is a church in Ephesus. But each letter addresses good things that are going on in the church, that particular church, and then bad things that are going on in that church. And um, the number seven is used all throughout Revelation. Uh, there's seven churches, and as you go through the seven churches, there's seven letters written to those churches, and each church has a lampstand uh, or candlestick, depending on what version you read, and there's also seven stars and seven angels for every church. Okay, there's a reason for that. The number seven in the Bible signifies complete or wholeness. So if you think about the end times, the end is coming near, it's completing, you know, God's vision or God's plan for humanity. And so the number seven is all throughout reference and revelation. And like I said, it's very particular because it's showing that everything's coming to a complete end and it's the wholeness of Christ is coming back. So it's kind of neat. So when you see seven, it is, on, it is there a purpose. Um, each church that is written in Revelation was an actual church. Okay? So they're called um, on that area and the belief system there, things like that. Um, one of the things that Ephesus was known for was actually this huge temple they had that worshipped as goddess. Okay? The so-and-so goddess. Uh, anybody know the name of the goddess that the church of Ephesus worshipped? If I, if I tell you the name, you'll probably know. It was uh, Artemis. Artemis was like, or, they, or you could say Diane. Uh, it's, it's referenced in Acts 19.27. Um, so Ephesus was like a big kind of goddess worship, almost idol worshiping city. Now, that doesn't mean the church in Ephesus worshipped the idols like that. They were actually a decent church. But that's kind of what the city was known for, was not necessarily a very Christian atmosphere. And so, Jesus writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, and as we go through these seven different letters to the churches, there's a few things to, to, to think about. One is, these letters apply to the churches as they were then. They also, though, it serve as a warning to the church today. Um, yeah, Paul. Yeah, so Acts. Oh, yeah. yeah, so yeah. Um, so what are the um, one of the ways to look at this is these seven letters to the churches. We get to the point where it shows what kind of church God actually loves and approves of. So these seven letters, although they're written to actual churches about things actually going on during the time John had this vision. They're also symbolic in the sense to say, okay, when the end times draw near, when the tribulation period begins, make sure that you're living in the, in this, in the, in the kind of way that God approves of. Make sure you're being the church that God approves of. So in, in each letter, you'll see things that God approves of with the church, things that, yes, it's good, you should be doing this, and then things that you shouldn't be doing. Um, and, and Jesus warned these churches to, when he comes back, if the churches are not doing what he, what he called them to do, if they're not the kind of church that God loves, and they're really not worshiping him, then tribulation will come. And, and they may not be, you know, brought up what they think they are. There's a lot of people today that believe they're Christians and believe they're going to heaven.
heaven. But if they don't have a true relationship with Jesus, the relationship that he calls us to, then when Jesus comes back, they may be very disappointed. And so Jesus basically in these seven letters warns these churches, hey, if you're not living the right way, if you don't have a true relationship with me, when I do come back and the end times begin, you may not be brought up with me. And you're going to have to endure this tribulation that's about to come. And so it's a good reminder for us as Christians today to be aware of what, what, what we're preaching, how we're acting, what kind of church that we're in, and to also make sure we're promoting that kind of Christianity to others. Because there's a lot of false doctrine out there right now. There's a lot of false, false gospels that spread. So let me go ahead and go through this a little bit with you guys here. Okay. The candlesticks. One thing that's important to be mentioned about this. When you hear about the candlesticks of the churches, the candlesticks are, serve a purpose. They're actually made of gold. You might know why the candlesticks are made of gold. Why that's important. Silver or gold and myrrh. Yeah, so it was one of the gifts. So gold back then was a very precious gift. Uh, it signified basically um, royalty and purity and things like that. So the candlesticks being made of gold basically signify like this is what to strive after. This is this is what this is the kind of person, the kind of church you should be. Uh, one more one more thing. And then the candlesticks. What does the candlestick do? <laughs> What, is the, what, what does the candle do in the candlestick? It, it holds the light. And, and the light casts out the darkness. So what Christ is saying is if you're, a, if you're the church that God loves, the one that he approves of, your candlestick, your candle will be, will be burning bright. And when your candle is burning bright, you'll expose all the darkness in the world and you'll shine Jesus' light into that darkness. But if you begin to fade away from that, your light becomes dimmer and dimmer until eventually Jesus will just destroy that candlestick and say, I can no longer use this church. Does that make sense? Because if you're out there preaching a false doctrine or a gospel that's all about me or a prosperity gospel or we'll go through all the things these churches are doing that aren't great, if we're that, if we're that kind of church, then eventually Jesus says that God's not going to bless that anymore and you're going to lose your witness in the world. Because your light you shine, you're shining for Christ is no longer be shining for Christ. It's shining for yourself. And when you do that, God doesn't honor that. And he takes that candlestick away. Or takes that lamp, lamp away. So that's kind of what it, what it references here. Is if you don't want to lose your witness to the world. If you don't want to lose God's hand upon you. God's blessing upon your church. Then make sure you do and don't do these certain things. So the first church is, is considered... A loveless church. Okay? Doesn't sound very appealing, does it? A loveless church. Um, now, here's what's interesting about this. Out of all the churches, Ephesus is probably one of the best. Out of the seven churches, they might be number two compared to one church that we'll talk about later that, that is really doing things well. So, the fact that we consider them as a loveless church. It's really fascinating because, like I said, they're actually one of the better churches we're going to read about. But there's a reason why they're called the Loveless Church. And I'll read it off to you guys in Revelation. It starts in chapter 2. And it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things. Now, 
John is having this vision, but what's interesting about the vision is the rest of Revelation, basically, is John's vision of what's going on. And so John is writing about what he sees and experiences. But the first part of Revelation is not John writing this. He's actually writing what Jesus is saying to the churches. So these words in Revelation here are not really John's words. They're what he saw Jesus say to these churches. So it's kind of interesting. So when you read the rest of Revelation, there's a lot of things people debate about and say, well, I don't know if that really means this or this or this. But the first part of Revelation is actually what Jesus is saying to the churches. So we should hold this pretty, pretty, pretty high regard. And it says, these things say, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, he, he who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and they are not, and I found them liars. And you have preserved and I have patience and I have labored in my name's sake, and I have not become weary. I found pretty good. Um, so, if Jesus says that about your church, I think I feel pretty good about myself. So again, the church of Ephesus is doing most things right. And here's the things they're doing right. If you guys didn't catch that, the things the church in Ephesus is doing right are they don't practice evil. So they're not going out there sinning. And which is pretty impressive because, again, if you do the research on the, on the city of Ephesus, it's not a very Christian city. Most of them are idol worshiping or worshiping um, Artemis. So pretty good that they're not, they're not participating in that. And also, you might help catch one of the things that the church is doing right, that God says he approves of. Yeah, let me read it to you one more time. It says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles, and they're not, and you found them liars. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my name's sake, and you have not become weary. Yes. Have become weary in your patience. Not become weary, yes. That's a good one. So what that means when not become weary, it means they're out there doing things right. They're out there doing the work of, of the Bible. What do you say, biblical work? And they also exhibit patience. And patience is something many people lack. So that's actually a pretty high phrase. So the church has patience. They're not going out there doing evil things. And they're not just sitting back there doing nothing. They're actually doing biblical work. They're out there doing mission work. They're doing things for the church. They're doing things that are right. You have like to add to it? Yeah, they're making, yeah, so they're making disciples. Yeah, making disciples. Um, so all these things sound like they're the perfect church. But yet, we consider them the loveless church. And so here's what Jesus says after he says all these good things about the church. And this is in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 4. It says... Nevertheless, I do have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else, now catch this, again, this is a repeated thing all about Revelation, or else 
I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the uh, Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And then it says, it concludes with, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the Spirit being the Holy Spirit, you know, speaking through. To him who overcomes, I will give to him uh, food from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So this, this church only has one thing that Jesus says is wrong with it. But the one thing he says is wrong with it, he says, if you don't fix that, he said, I will come and remove your lampstand, and I'm not going to honor that church or bless that church anymore. And the one thing that he says is wrong is that they left their first love. Anybody, anybody know what that might mean? What did you say? Not exactly. That's a good guess, though. It actually means this. Their heart behind their actions is no longer one that God approves of. Basically, they're doing all the right things because they know they're supposed to be doing these things, but they really don't have the kind of passion or love or care to do these things. They're just kind of walking through the motions because... You know, they may think it's the right thing to do, or they feel like they're higher than somebody else, or they feel like, hey, if I do these things, then God's going to give me these things. But their heart behind all these actions is not a true love of God. They're just going through the motions. Yeah, Victoria? But their heart's in the wrong place. And the way I think we have to look at this today in our church and say, you know, are we that same kind of church? How do we not become that church that Jesus doesn't approve of? How do we not lose our lampstand? I think it's, it's this right here. One of the biggest things missing from churches today is passion. It's excitement. It's fire for God. Think about how many churches you walk in on a Sunday morning and you go to worship and everybody kind of has their hands in their pocket. They're mumbling over the words. People are falling asleep. And then after the service is over, everybody's like, okay, we'll see you guys back next week. So the church itself may do some mission projects. They may preach the word and preach it well. And they may, and they may, they may show kindness to others. And they may show patience, things like that. But if the church itself is, is not um, doing this with a heart because they love God, they're not doing it because they want to honor him and because they have this passion and desire for God, then they're not doing it for the right reasons and people are going to notice that and you're not going to have the kind of influence in the world that God wants you to have. Because think about this. Some of the best sales people in the world, if they, go, if they go up to somebody and they have a product for sale, the product they have for sale probably isn't like any better than other products, okay? It's not like it's the best thing in the world. But the way they make it sound, and the passion, the energy they bring, and the way they try to convince you that, hey, man, you got to have this. Like, you can't live without this. Then all, over time, you're like, man, I think he's right. i got to have this product. i got to buy this 1999 for three months. Um, and so a lot of people end up, you know, buying that person's product. And the companies that have the best advertisement, the companies that have the best salespeople, typically are the companies that are the best companies. 
because even though the products may not be any better than other people's products, people are convinced because of the passion and energy they bring that their products are somehow higher than other people's and that they can't live without it. But if you go up there to somebody and you're trying to sell a laptop, um, and you're, you go up there and you say, well, Victoria, I got this cool laptop, you know, I think you might want to buy it. What do you think? And if that's all I say, you're probably going to be like, no, I'm good. And you say, no, I'm good. And I'm like, okay, well, if you want to buy it, talk to me later. And, I, and I'm probably never going to see that person ever again. But if she says, no, I think I'm good. And I'm like, well, what about this? It has this feature, this feature, this feature. I really think you can use this laptop. Look at all these cool things it has. Let me show you what's in my life. And I go through all these details. I may can convince her that, hey, she really does need this laptop. So Jesus is saying that it's similar in the church. If you're going out there and sharing the gospel with people, but you're doing it with no passion, no energy, it's not real to you, then nobody's probably going to accept that because they're going to see right through you. Because if you're trying to if you're trying to promote something, if you're trying to teach somebody about something, but it's not real to you, those people aren't going to buy it either because they can see that you don't really believe it yourself. And so although we're not selling Jesus, if you're out there trying to show people that they need Jesus and they can't live without him, and you're not doing it with passion and energy and fire and a love for God, people see right through you, and then they're not gonna they're not gonna want to give their life to Christ. But they're like, hey, if that person's living for Christ and they're that miserable, then why would I want to be a Christian? And that's that's the problem, unfortunately, with a lot of churches today, is people come into the church on a Sunday morning and they're looking for answers, looking for hope, trying to find out what's different about Christianity. And they come here and they see a very dead atmosphere. Nobody really is, is excited to be there. Nobody's really happy to be there. Everybody's kind of straight-faced. And they walk out and they're like, well, man, if that's how Christianity is, it's not really for me. But if they go into a church and people are excited, you can feel the love when you walk in. People are, are happy to be there. They're worshiping with all they have. The, the pastor's up there and he's preaching. And, he, and he's out there with energy and passion. You can tell that it's really personal and real to him. That person's like, man, like I need this. I gotta have this. And then all of a sudden, that's how revivals start. And churches grow, and the gospel begins to spread. One of the biggest things missing from the church today is passion. And so Jesus is saying that what you're doing, Ephesus, is fine. What you're doing is right, but you're doing it with the wrong heart. And if your heart doesn't change, you're gonna you're gonna begin to lose that witness in the world today. And then remove that lampstand. And think about how we're seeing that in today's world. Churches are closing at a very rapid rate right now in America. I actually looked up a stat today from Lifeway, and it said the average churchgoer, the average just regular churchgoer, is, I think, 52 right now in America. That's not good, because that means that if that age continues to climb, that means the new, younger people aren't going to church anymore. And so if in 10 years, the average churchgoer age is 60-something, that means we're not having any young people really come to the church anymore. What's even more alarming is the average rate of a pastor right now, a senior pastor, is 57 in America. So that means not only young people are going to the ministry either. And a lot of that is because young people, when they go into churches, they don't see passion, they don't see energy, they don't see life. And churches that have done things the old way, the same way for a long time, they're not willing to change. People don't want to go to that anymore. And that's not the only reason, but it is a big part of it. And so 
Jesus is saying, you've got to put that passion back in again. You've got to have that fire you first had when you accepted me. And you've got, to, you've got to be all in. Because if you're not, you're going to start losing people. And we're seeing that today. We're starting to see that in the world today. And then in addition to that, um, we can go through the motions all day long. But if the fire, love, and passion for the Lord is not within us, people will see right through us and we'll lose our witness. Works are great, but love is greater. What do you guys think about that? Works are great, but love is greater. Jesus is saying that you can do all the works for me that you want to do. And those are good. I encourage you to do those. I want you to do those. But if you're missing love, it's pointless. Because even if you're not the best Christian, quote-unquote, with works, maybe you don't read your Bible every single day, or maybe you miss going to church some Sundays, but there's a true love for God in your heart. Jesus is saying that, that that's, that's preferred because at least when you're doing things for me, people are going to be drawn as well. Because if you're just doing all the work and you have no energy, no passion, no love, what you're doing is really pointless. And so works are great, but love is greater. And if you have both, then that's the church God really loves. But if you don't have what, at least start with loving God. And the worst will come is the more you build that relationship with Him. And something that the encouragement today as we close is sometimes we get so caught up as a church in doing the right things that we end up doing the wrong thing. Because we get what they call legalistic. We get so caught up in doing this, 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 then we actually take the love of Christ out of it. And when you do that, we actually end up doing the wrong thing. So what he's telling Ephesus is, you got to be thinking you're the best church in the nation, but in all reality, you're not, because in doing all these things for me, you've forgotten the love and the passion that I want to have a relationship with you. It's not just about doing things. It's about getting to know me, you know, growing closer in your relationship with me. And if you stop doing that, the rest of this doesn't really matter. So as, as, as we close, a reminder for the church today is just, based off this, make sure your relationship with Christ is in the right place first. Make sure you're learning about Him, you're growing your relationship with Him. You know, you can do that through reading the Bible, doing that through activities, you have to listen to podcast sermons, you know, but learn and grow your knowledge and, and relationship with Christ. And through that love you have for Him, through that passion you have for sharing the laws, the works will come. And God will show you the right way to live. And God will show you through reading this word and through um, you know, visions and dreams and whatever, how God speaks to you. He'll show you what he's calling you to do. And the works will follow. But if you try to do the works first without the love, it's not going to work. The love has to come first and the passion. And through that love and passion, the works also come. And then again, you become that person in the church God truly loves and approves of. So let me pray for us and we'll close for tonight. Lord, thank you so much just for your message about love um, here in the church in Ephesus. Knowing that, God, you, you want us to do works for you. You want us to follow your word. And that is so important. But if we lack love, then we're missing the point. So I ask God you restore that fire, that passion, that excitement for you once again in our hearts. And that it outpours in everything that we do. And so when people see us, they truly see you. And we become that light into the world of darkness and shine your light brightly. And then we pray, Lord Jesus. Uh, here, I'm going to stop it, and we can do some questions.